Harper to Mark chapter 1. We're looking at verses 16 to 20 this morning, continuing in the sermon series. A call of faithfulness to the King at all costs. As believers on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are called to be faithful to Him. And that call of faithfulness is indeed costly. That's what the Word of God says. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. They were fishermen. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, followed Jesus. And then going on a little further, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them. They left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed Jesus. God, we come to you right now and we're so grateful to already experience your presence here in this place. You're so good to us. And we ask right now, through the truth of your word, through my brokenness and your grace, you would show your sufficiency in this place, in this moment. That you would eliminate distractions, garner our undivided attention to you as King, and impact us. Speak to us during this time, we pray, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Come to the passage this morning, and what we're going to see, as you just listened to those verses being read over you just a moment ago, a radical call from our Savior, and then an equally radical response. Within this radical call from Jesus and this radical response from these four men along the Galilean waters there in their boats, fishing, going about business, we see Jesus the King calling for these men to give all authority to Jesus Christ in their lives. Oftentimes when we read Scripture, we, we see the English paragraphs and divisions that make it a little easier for, for us to read, but sometimes it distracts us from the overall thought that's going on. And right here, it continues in the authority of the kingship of Jesus. He's passing along the Sea of Galilee. He's making this radical call to Simon, to Andrew, to James, and to John. And he's saying, I am the king who has come and is offering my kingdom to establish it in your hearts to rule and to reign over you so that you might be my followers, my disciples, until I die, I'm buried, raised from the dead, and come again. And so they're on the waters of Galilee. It says Jesus was passing along. This, this activity, this action, he's passing along the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been there, or if you just Google image it, you see this very vast body of water that, that looks like a big cereal bowl. It's 700 feet below sea level. It's fed from Mount Hermon in the north with the melting snow that comes down throughout the seasons. Seven and a half miles wide by 12 miles long. Huge. If you look at pictures, you'd be confused. It looks tropic. It looks like Hawaii. It's beautiful. It's not actually a sea. It's fresh water, but just the, the vastness of the body of water. It's called the Sea of Galilee. And there, where we know Jesus walked on the water, there where you can go and visit Israel today and hop on a fishing boat and, and see the water surface where Jesus our Savior walked on water. 
Scripture says in this account, Jesus was walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these men. Simon, who we later come to know as Peter, and Simon's brother, Andrew. We don't know who's older or younger. Different gospel accounts have these names in different orders, so that's pretty irrelevant. Something very relevant, I just a little sidebar here. Andrew, according to other gospel accounts, is the one who hears about Jesus, the Lamb of God, and then goes, finds his brother Simon, later to become Peter, the rock in the inner circle of Jesus Christ. And these men are doing what? They are casting their nets. So we give this picture of what they're doing. Nets. They're not, they're not fishing with rod and reel. They're taking these circular, likely nets along the perimeter, having weights along each section. And the way it would go is they'd gather one section of weighted perimeter after another section of weighted perimeter on their casting nets. And then they'd get ready and take it in their hands and then throw it out there into the water to catch the fish. I thought about bringing a casting net in here. That would have been fun, dangerous, and exciting all at the same time. And perhaps when you think about a casting net, maybe your mind's eye goes to a, a holiday weekend. Nice three-day weekends. Maybe go fishing along the coast. And a casting net is used for what? Well, as you go out and you're getting ready to, to test out that Abu Garcia open reel and that ugly stick rod, before you get out there where you can get the redfish and the speckled trout, what do you have to do? You've got to catch some baits. And you're out there on the edge of your boat going out to the waters and you're, you're casting this net, catching the bait, bringing it in. That's not what these guys are doing. These guys are not going out as a hobby. These guys are not going out, Simon, Andrew, James, and John. They're not going out hoping to catch some bait, then go to catch some bigger fish. They are casting these nets out because it is their livelihood. It's all they've ever known. In fact, it's all they'll ever know. The cultural, the tradition, it's family business. They live there in the prominent fishing industry of Galilee. It's in the family blood. It's what they do. It's what they know. And they're casting these nets and they are described by who they are. They're fishermen. They're doing things based on who they are. And don't miss that because later on what God's going to hit you in the teeth with is that we're called to be about activity based on who we are. If we just have a little confession right now, I don't think we always do a good job of that, do we? Good, I'm not the only one. Thank you, Lord. So Jesus passes along the Sea of Galilee. Simon, Andrew, they're casting their nets, their livelihood, what they're about, their very business. And he issues this strong, this bold statement. It's coded with authority. It carries the kingship we've seen all along in chapter 1 so far. This statement, this proclamation we'd expect from some type of military leader. He says, come, you can imagine him saying, by name, Simon, Andrew, come, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And then we just read to the next verse. And in Mark and fashion, immediately they left their nets and followed Jesus. The same is true when you go on to James and John who are in the boats, who are a little wealthier, it appears, than perhaps Simon and Andrew. But at the issue of Jesus' call to them as well, the, the military-like command of, come, follow me, I will make you fishers of men, they too respond immediately. It's radical if you think about it. 
But why is it radical? That's the issue at hand. We realize the radical response they offer first by understanding the radical call that Jesus gives to them. He says, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Jesus' radical call is this, church. To sever all other authority. If you're taking notes, that's what you want to remember this morning. The call Jesus has on every believer on Him as Lord and Savior is to sever all authority that He as King may be sole authority in your life. So He says, come, follow Me. A lot of times what happens is you come to this passage and preachers like to speak of this is such a radical call because it's an all of a sudden event. Jesus is just walking along the seashore and there's these men out there on the water and he says, hey Simon and Andrew, come follow me. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this first encounter with Jesus, they just say, oh my goodness, that sounds appealing. I'm leaving everything and following after this man named Jesus. That's not it at all. It's not a radical call out of an all of a sudden event. In fact, this is not the first encounter these men have had with Jesus. If you stuck to the Mark script, that's what you might assume. But you look at the other gospel accounts, it does not take long to search through those and see they've been with him for some time. They've heard about him from John the baptizer. When they were along the river Jordan and John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, looked across the river and said, Behold the Lamb of God. That's the one. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, who is bringing a kingdom because he is the king. Not only that, but these men, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, they had been with Jesus at the wedding feast in Cana, where Jesus took the water and he transformed it into non-approved Baptist beverages. The strong stuff. And he said it was good. They'd seen it. Not just heard about it. They'd seen him. They'd literally tasted what he was about. Not only that, there's record of, of them experiencing him in Passover already up to this point in Jerusalem. So they'd heard about him. They'd seen him. They'd tasted him. They'd experienced it. But then for whatever reason, apparently they just go back to life as usual. What? Their life as usual, business as usual, back on the waters of Galilee, back to their fishing business. So Jesus comes along the shore of Galilee. And you can imagine it. Simon, Andrew, you've heard about me. I'm the Lamb of God. You've literally tasted what I'm about. You've experienced me with Passover Jerusalem already. Come now, truly follow me. Because following Jesus is never about accepting who he is and then going back to life as usual. For whatever reason, they mistook that. They misunderstood it. And now at this juncture in their lives, he says, come follow me. And they recognize what is before them. They are called to forsake their entire careers, their place of employment. Now, don't hear me wrong this morning. In no way am I saying that this sets some type of universal prescription of followers today that if you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to give up your career. You've got to go in tomorrow and put in your two weeks and, and leave your job that God's blessed you with. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But the universal reality, the principle that's demanded of all believers in Christ is that we sever all other authority. 
that we come to a place as believers and when we hear about Jesus and we taste resurrected Jesus and, and we encounter who He truly is as Lord and Savior, we don't ever go back to life as normal. But we are transformed from the inside out. And we come to a place of living upon this word, placing it over our lives in the authority of Jesus as King over our lives, ruling and reigning in our hearts to the point where we say, God, if there's anything in my life of authority or influence that is not Jesus, strip it from me. That's the radical call, to sever all other authority. So it says, they immediately left their nets. promptness isn't, or, or the, the radical nature isn't because, oh, they just fir- first met Jesus and never heard him before, but what those nets represent. That was the authority in their lives. Those nets were the money makers. Those nets was the authority of their family and the tradition that they've put so much time and investment into. John and James, the son of Zebedee, driving my boys to school this week. One of them read through 16 to 20, asked me where we'd be this Sunday. We got to read through this and talk about what Zebedee meant. Zebedee meaning the sons of thunder. That would be a cool Christian tattoo if you're ever going to get one. You can go to Capernaum today along um, these different villages along the Sea of Galilee. And in Capernaum, there's a um, synagogue still standing today. And there's an inscription on one of the pieces of stone basically saying, Dedicated, supported by the family of the Zebedees. What do those nets represent? Money. Stability. The ultimate authority in their life. And for these men, the radical calling God had on them was ultimately for them to sever all other authority that wasn't Jesus Christ, and for them particularly, it called them to leave their current places of work and to follow him as fishers of men. For us, the same is true. And we think, okay, pastor, I can follow Jesus. He's called me to be a believer. I want to be a fisher of men. So when I consider authorities in my life, when they're, they're evil, I, I reject them. I say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. Or, or when I consider things that are blatantly obvious of sin, are just so vile that, that it's easy to recognize, yeah, I have nothing to do with those. But what about the other things, church? What about things that come from God? Listen here. What about things that are good in our lives? Gifts of grace from God that are intended for good, but for whatever reason, similar to what these men experienced and struggled with, we allow things of good and grace from God that are intended for good to creep in and find their places of authority over us in which only Jesus Christ deserves. Nothing coming to mind yet? I can think of some. I haven't heard it as much here as I did in West Texas, but... When I thought about, um, when I think about family on Mother's Day and Father's Day, just, just sit there, guys. Just, this is not easy, okay? The family is a gift from God, designed by God. Mothers, parents, fathers, parents are gifts from God. Parenthood, fatherhood, motherhood are gifts from God. 
Some of us make babies a lot easier than others for whatever reason. Others of us pray for God to provide us life within the womb or life through adoption, and He provides, and we rejoice over these things. But these good graces of God, over time, creep in to a place of authority that only Jesus Christ deserves. Think about Mother's Day and Father's Day. You know what I've heard before? Father's Day is for Dad. And all I want to do on Father's Day is be home and have breakfast and stay at home and be a dad. Who made you a dad? Who's given you the blessing of being a dad? And we make this foolish decision to give authority to our parenthood over our Savior who deserves that position where we are called to never forsake the gathering of saints and come here and rejoice collectively on what God has blessed us in the design of family and parenthood. You could use an example for any holiday, really. What about children? Children are a blessing from the Lord. It's a good grace of God. But we struggle and allow this gift, this good thing from God, to creep into a place of authority in which only Jesus Christ deserves. I think about a number of things. I think about sporting events. We have no, oh, I saw it on Facebook this last week. We have no problem with what the band plays at Friday night football games. We've got no, no problem how close we sit with one another at football games. We've got no problem with what time of day or night a football game is and what season it is. We are going to be there. But our kids don't see the same devotion when it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ who lived a perfect life died on a cross as a curse, went to a tomb on your behalf, and conquered death once for all. We allow good things in our lives to creep in and have a place of authority over us in which only Jesus Christ deserves. Me personally, I allow hobbies to do that. Hobbies are a good thing, amen? like to golf, like to hunt, like to work out, like to fish. I love Abu Garcia, open, open face reels. Oh man, just a thing of beauty, okay? But when I'm being honest with myself, even over the last two weeks, I allow a good thing, like a hobby that God graces me with, to creep into a place of authority in which only my resurrected Savior deserves. And you know what happens as a result of that? My relationship with him suffers. I'm no longer able to lead out of the fullness of a relationship with him. You know what else happens? My marriage absolutely stinks as a result of that. But good thing the kids never notice those things, right? No. It trickles down to the kids, to the friends and extended family. The radical call Jesus has on our lives is to sever all other authority that is not him. And it's easy when it comes to something so evil or blatantly obvious. But these things of grace that are good from him, the Father of lights, we don't get a pass on that church. And he says, those things too, if you allow them to creep in a place of authority in which only I deserve, you must sever that as well. And the second thing is this, and it's based on the response. So we have a radical calling. We can take a deep breath, guys. Come on. Just relax. You don't like to hear it? I didn't like to hear it either. It's from the Word of God, okay? 
radical call from Jesus is to sever all other authority. And then the radical response is being sensitive to his sovereignty. Jesus calls us to sever all authority other than him. And then in this radical calling on our lives of come follow me and I will make you become fishers of men, the response in which we are called to lay aside our nets and all other authority that does not represent him, we must have a sensitivity to his sovereignty. That's what these men on Galilee represented. That's what they displayed, church. Think about this. They had encountered Jesus before, right? They'd heard about him. They tasted him. They'd experienced him. And then for whatever reason, on the seashore there of Galilee, Jesus finally, come now, follow me, truly follow me. Life cannot go on as it did before if you're a follower of me as your Savior, as your King. And they displayed a sensitivity to God's sovereignty because they knew I'd heard about him before, but I missed it. I tasted it before, but whatever reason, I didn't fully understand it. We were there in Jerusalem at the very Passover, and it just did not come together. And they recognized that any opportunity of God offering his calling on your life is only guaranteed at that very moment. Tomorrow, you never know what might come. So what does Mark emphasize? Immediately. They'd heard about him, they tasted him, they'd experienced him, and went back to business as usual. But then when he came along the seashore one more time and said, come, truly follow me, they said, we've got to do this. He is offering this, and there's no guarantee he will offer it again. And that's where it's kind of a, a double-edged burden for us. As a believer in Christ... Christ has invited me. He has, he has placed the offer of his kingdom at the doorstep of my life. And by the grace of God, I've accepted it. He has his rule and his reign over my life. And as a fisher of men, I am burdened for those who do not have hope in Jesus Christ. But for whatever reason, we don't know the, the ins and outs about it, but, but in God's sovereignty, for whatever reason, there are only limited seasons in which an offer of God's opportunistic kingdom in your life is available. Some seems inadequately short. Others seem like God gives and gives more than someone deserves. For me, I have a friend. I've known him for about a year now. He's a widower. I caught up with him a couple weeks ago, and I hadn't seen him for a couple months. He's going in and out of memory loss. His deceased wife was not a believer. She's likely in hell today. His first wife was not a believer. She is likely in hell today, as best I can tell. And he and I were talking about upcoming holidays. And I asked him how he'd been and if he's planning on getting with family. He said, yes, I'm planning on getting with my daughter and son-in-law, who's not son-in-law through biblical marriage, but through common-law marriage, and get with them for a Thanksgiving dinner and then I asked him about how his other daughter was doing, the one who lived two houses down from him. I said, how's she doing? And he looked up at me, 79 years old. Light left his eye, the breath left his body. This is what he said. She is no more. 
He's got two daughters. And one passed away two months ago, and the only way he could describe it was, she is no more. Because outside of this life, he's got nothing. He has no faith. If he were to fall over dead right now, he would meet his recently deceased daughter, his second wife, and his first wife in the pits of hell for all eternity, separated from God Almighty. As a fisher of men, I am burdened to share the hope of Jesus with him and beg God to keep the window of opportunity open for this man, by the grace of God, to come to a place of choosing to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We don't know what those seasons look like. We don't know how long they are, how short they are. Only God does in His sovereignty. And He makes this radical call to sever all authority that's not Jesus Christ, and this radical call and response that demands us to be sensitive to His sovereignty because we don't know anything outside of the present moment we're going through. And what we know for certain, based on of all of Scripture, what we know for certain, based on personal experience, is that the only thing we are guaranteed is the present opportunity of God offered to us in our present reality. And so the burden I share for my friend who has a daughter who is no more It's the same burden I share for you today. You here who have heard about Jesus, that He is the Lamb of God. You here who likely have encountered and personally tasted some goodnesses of Jesus in various walks of life. But for whatever reason, You've taken those opportunities of him offering a calling on your life for granted and you've dismissed them. You've talked yourself out of it. Even this very moment, some of you, should you die this very moment, you're going to be eternally separated from God because you have never consciously made a faith decision on Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You've heard about him, you've tasted him, but you've never embraced it as your own. What the pages of Scripture is crying out to you, What I'm reminding you of is that in this radical call of Jesus calling you to make Him the authority as King in your life, you have this opportunity in just a few moments to immediately respond, walk this aisle, if at least just to pray about it and talk about it. That Jesus may be your King, you might have everlasting life. But my burden I share, the burden I have for my lost friends is a similar burden I share for my saved friends as well. Because as sovereign God is in control of all things and working things out, as there's spirits of light moving about us, as there's spirits of darkness moving about us, Scripture says, right, we're assigned demonic forces, we're assigned angelic beings. It's going on around us. And you, my saved friends, God is calling you. He is offering an opportunity of discipleship with Him in different different areas of your life in which you've heard Him offer it to you. You've heard the tugging at your heart, whatever it might be. Maybe maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's becoming an official member of Katie's First. Maybe 
It's like these men and leaving your secular job and saying, God is calling me into full-time ministry. But you too, just as our lost friends, live within the sovereignty of God and in this radical calling, have a need to be sensitive to that. But I want to encourage you this morning, based on what we see in verses 16 and 20, don't be distracted by what's going on in Thanksgiving next week. Don't be distracted by next Friday at 4 p.m. Katie's going to kick North Shore's backside for the second time this year. Recognize that Creator God has called you to something better. And if He's calling you, if He's burdening you, if He's tugging at your heartstrings, however you want to describe that, and you decide to talk yourself out of it this morning, if you decide just to conjure up an excuse of, well, not today because i got a lot going on, but next Sunday would be perfect because it would just be a lot more convenient. There's no guarantee that after you walk out of this building this morning that he will call you with the same offer of usefulness in his kingdom for, your, for his glory. So church, what does that authority look like in your life? What does your response look like as well? I've confessed my stuff to you. Now let's confess your stuff to the Lord during this time. Let's stand up and I want to pray over you. Father God, Lord, if I could choose a Thanksgiving sermon, it would not have been this one, Lord. You know that. But as creator, as sovereign God over all things, you know exactly what we needed this morning. And the message that we needed to hear from you was Mark 1, 16 to 20. That you have this radical call for, for us to sever all other authority that's not you. And you, you have this radical response you're calling of us. So be sensitive to the now and respond in faith in this moment in which you offer us knowing we have no guarantee after this moment. So Lord, we ask that you would deal with our hearts at this very moment. God, we confess to you that for as excited as we are for salvation and eternity. God, there's too many things in my own life, in our lives, of your grace that we allow to creep into places of authority in which only you deserve. And we're sorry for that, God. Especially sorry for the implications and what transpires as a result. We ask that you take this and help us to to sever our ties from that. As they left their nets, cause us to detach ourselves from these things so that the ultimate authority in our lives will be King Jesus, our resurrected Savior. Father, we ask that in this moment, not trying to guilt people, not trying to twist their arm, but, but plainly speaking the truth of what you show us in your word. Help us to be sensitive to your sovereignty. That you of all, all creation, God Almighty, have us in this moment gathered in your presence. We've heard about you. We've tasted you. 
We've encountered you on so many different levels, but you want us to respond in a way that you are specifically calling different ones of us in this place. And Father, if there's someone who has no confidence in their eternity, I pray as the music begins and we sing the song that they would race down the aisle and Pastor John or I could at least talk with them and pray with them. Lord, if there's someone here you're calling to be a part of our fellowship or step out in baptism, give them the boldness to accept the offer you're calling them in in this moment. Father, if there's anyone here who needs to make a public decision, publicly declare a calling of ministry you've placed on their life. Maybe it's them needing to leave their secular job. Maybe it's them needing just to plan a a college path that takes them to seminary. Whatever it is, God, may we make the most of your sovereign, providential moment in this place. Because, Lord, we don't know what the future holds. But we know we don't want any future outside of your desires for our lives. So we give this time to you. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Church, let's worship.